happy Father's Day to those of you who were here with us in person and to those of you dads who are joining us online. It's gonna be a good day. I wanted to share a story with you about a dad that I read a couple of weeks ago that I think captures the heart of what dads and fathers gift to us in the world. So this is a story of a stepdad and a stepson. And the stepdad adopted the stepson when they were quite young. And the stepdad began to hope that from a very young age, this son would grow up to follow in his footsteps as a carpenter. Are any of you people who work with your hands, you like to build things and fix things and design things? This is what the stepdad did. He owned a carpentry business and he began to hope that this young son would learn the tools of the trade and would eventually join him in his business one day. Well, as this kid grew, it became quite obvious that he was not wired and gifted to build things. He was wired and gifted to read and to learn and to discover through books and stories. And so what this stepdad decided to do was when the son was in about high school, he chose to read a book a month with his son. He chose to enter into the world of this teenage son so that he could understand what he was learning and understand what he was discovering and so that they would have something to talk about together. And as I read the story, I thought, isn't this just a picture of our heavenly father who came and entered into our world to be near us, to be with us, to engage with us? And so dads, thank you for all of the ways that you enter into the lives of your kids and to others around you who you are parenting and fathering. They may not call you dad, but you're doing the work and we're so grateful. Okay, so another question for you. How many of you created a new tradition while we were under pandemic lockdown? You started doing something that you really had never done before and now you find you're still doing it today. Yeah, I see a few little hands going up in the room. I promise I won't make you tell me what they are because you may or may not want to tell me, but I'm gonna tell you about when our family started to do. And that is we, if you're online and you don't live in Southern California, I'm so sorry. But here in Southern California, in the summer, even if it's 100 degrees, it cools off enough in the evening most of the time where you can enjoy dinner outside. So we found ourselves under lockdown eating dinner outside together as a family quite often. And in that season, that was two years ago, we had three small kids. And what we discovered was that every night as we were eating, they wanted to hear stories. Mom, tell me a story about what I was like when I was a baby. Mom, tell me a story about the day I was born. Mom, tell me a story. Dad, tell me a story. And then they didn't want to only hear stories about what they were like. Then they began to say, Dad, tell me a story about what you were like when you were a kid. And then they'd say, Mom, tell me a story about when you were a little girl. And the problem with that question is that I have gaps. I don't have many memories from my childhood. There are long blocks of time that I just simply cannot remember from my childhood. And the memories that I do have are not exactly the things that I want to share 
around an evening meal. My husband has incredible stories and I love that my kids get access to those stories. And when they go see their grandparents quite frequently, they'll come home and they'll share stories that grandma and grandpa have shared about what my husband was like when he was a little boy and it's incredible. But I have gaps. There are just whole chunks of time that I simply can't remember and at this point in my life, have discovered that likely I won't remember, and some of that is absolutely God's grace and protection. Those aren't the only gaps that I have, though. There are also gaps in me where I have been wounded and hurt and broken by other people in my life. I imagine that you're sitting here and you may have your memories intact, but I know you also have gaps, that there have been moments and places in time when you have been betrayed or let down or abused or left out, hurt and wounded and broken, there are gaps in your life just like there are gaps in mine. And then I have these things called gaps where I want to have great motivations when I do things that the rest of the world sees that look good on the outside, but if I'm honest, sometimes there is a gap there, where I'm doing something because of how it looks or how it appears, but the motivation is not always pure. Or there's a gap in my action. I want to be patient and loving and kind and forgiving, and there are moments when there's a gap there in between what I want to be, the mom I want to be, the leader I want to be, the spouse I want to be, the friend I want to be, and then the reality of how I actually show up. There's a gap there. I would imagine, because you're all human with me here in this room, that you have gaps as well. And what we're gonna talk about today and what we're gonna discover is that while we have all made a mess of things, that's part of what we've been talking about here in Romans, is we've all been a part of making the messes, we all get in on the goodness and grace of God that gives us access to new life in Christ. We get to be together in the goodness and in the grace of God. Now this is important for us to think about and then to integrate into our life because what we think about grace, what we think about the good news or the gospel impacts our emotions. If the good news or the gospel that you have been taught and you have heard and you have accumulated over the course of your lifetime, if it leads you to shame, this sense of I am unworthy of belonging to the kingdom of God, the family of God, I am unworthy of God's love, that's gonna impact your life, your identity and your relationships. If there is a fear of God, I, I, don't, I don't know that I wanna be known by God. I don't know that I wanna be close to God because maybe God is kind of scary. Maybe God is a little bit unpredictable. Maybe we're not sure if there's really forgiveness, if there's really reconciliation, if there's really this kind of love because sometimes it's hard for us to see it accurately portrayed in the, in the people around us. And so if there's fear there, that's gonna impact our identity and it's gonna impact our relationships and it's gonna impact the way that we show up in the world. But if our picture of grace and our picture of the gospel that we begin to accumulate and integrate into our life, if it leads us to love and to acceptance and to belonging, then imagine the impact that has on our identity, on who we choose to trust we truly are in Christ, and then how that impacts your relationships and impacts our church and impacts our community. 
I don't know if you have noticed this about yourself, but we treat the people around us the way that we treat ourselves. We mirror to the world around us our internal dialogue and the way that we see ourselves and the way that we treat ourselves. When we fall short, when we mess up, when we see gaps, the way that we treat ourselves in those moments is often what we reflect back to the people and to the world around us. So this matters, this idea that we are together in the grace of God, the implications are far reaching. Now, Scott has done a great job leading us through Romans chapter one and Romans chapter two, helping us to understand that the apostle Paul was building up to a moment in the scriptures. Paul was describing what life was like for the Jewish people at this time who we've been calling the legalists, who needed everything to be right and just so, and who were really guilty. A lot of times they had this gap of judgment towards other people. And then also describing what life was like for the Roman followers of Jesus or the hedonists. Now, if you've been following along in the series, and as you've been listening, you've only been able to think about the other people in your household or the other people in your neighborhood or the other people in our world and putting them in the categories of Roman and Jewish and you haven't taken a moment to reflect in your own heart how maybe you can relate to both of those categories and I wanna invite you to do that because this is not about them, this is about us. And I have to tell you, as much as I don't like to admit it, I can see characteristics in myself in both groups. Legalism and judgment, and also the ways of the Roman people. Uh, uh, you, you wouldn't look at my life from the outside and go, there's a hedonist. But if you got inside my heart, where Jesus says it matters most, there are moments when I crave power. There are moments when I wanna assert control and authority over the world around me. There are moments when I want comfort and pleasure more than I want what is good and what is right and is often hard and uncomfortable. There's a disconnect there sometimes. There's a gap there sometimes. And so Paul is building. He's listing out all of the ways that we all have gaps. And in the beginning of chapter three, he continues to build and he's building and building and building and building and good news is coming. And so it's built up and now we begin to see, okay, Paul, what is the actual good news? That the people who are reading this letter are anticipating, that's what we're gonna take a look at today. What is the good news of this gospel of grace and of goodness of God? And so in Romans chapter three, Paul says, but now. So he's built and built and built and built and built, but now. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now I wanna pause with you there before we continue because I want us to try to wrap our minds around this word righteousness. This is a word you really only hear in church or read in the scripture. And if I were to pull you aside in the lobby and put a camera in your face and say, define the word righteousness for me, most of us would be at a loss for words or we would kind of pull something out and talk off the top of our head, but it is not an easy word to grasp, 
to sink our teeth into. One of my favorite definitions is from Dallas Willard. He is probably the theologian, the author that has impacted my theology the most over the last handful of years. And what I want you to know about who you listen to and who you learn from is pay attention to the fruit in their life. Dallas was not perfect, but when I look at the fruit of his life, I see someone who consistently had the fruit of the Spirit in his life and who continued to be humble and gracious over the course of his lifetime. Here's what he says about the righteousness of God. He said, it's the goodness of God in making life from above available in Christ. The goodness of God in making life from above available in Christ. So if you just see that word righteousness and you think that's the goodness of God, who makes new life available to us from above. Not new life after we die, that's a piece of it, but new life now, new life today. Someone who takes the gaps and fills them in and doesn't just leave us there, but offers us new life with all the goodness that comes from that. Now, we're gonna keep reading in the scripture and <laughs> I have to tell you, when you read through this, you kind of get to the end and you, you go, okay, what? Like we get to this build up and then Paul tells us what the good news is and you kind of scratch your head and you go, wait a second, what? Paul is working really hard here to try to capture with words something that is nearly impossible for humans to intellectually grasp. I mean, the love of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God. There is a mystery involved here and as hard as we will try, and we are gonna try hard today to capture this, you, you just kind of find yourself going, huh, <laughs> there's a lot packed into these couple of verses. And I think there may be some things that over the years, we've also gotten a little bit wrong. So let's look at what Paul says. He says, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his goodness, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. There's a lot in there, a lot of goodness. And today what we're gonna do is we're not only gonna wrap our mind around what Paul is talking about, but we're also gonna work together to learn how to integrate it into our heart to not only be people who think about God, but people who invite and allow the Spirit of God to have access to our heart. We need both in order to experience the fullness of life that is available to us in Christ. Now, many a theologian, pastor, writer, scholar has tried to help us understand what in the world Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter three. In fact, if I'm honest with you, there have been many times I've been reading through Romans and I get to chapter three and I go, I think I'm just gonna go to Romans chapter eight. 
There's a lot packed in here. And again, we're trying to put logical left brain words to a God that is at the end of the day, indescribable. And yet this is important work for us to do. And so the mystery here um, has been kind of avoided by our post-enlightenment rational brains. We like to put things in boxes and check them off as figured out and done. But I wanna invite us today to not only think of some new possibilities about this passage of scripture, but also to embrace the mystery that is God, that is Christ, that is the incarnation of God. That's part of what it means to live by faith, to embrace a little bit of the mystery. Now, we're gonna start with what do we think we know? There have been multiple atonement theories, usually about six, two that are the most popular. And we're gonna hit those real quick today because I think they fall short of capturing what Paul is describing here, of capturing the goodness and the love and the grace of God. But many of you are gonna recognize pieces of these two theories that you either grew up with that you were taught directly or you were taught indirectly. And my invitation for you today is to consider that there may be more than what you have known to the goodness of God, the grace of God, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first one is called ransom theory. Now I am not gonna be able to give you all of the theory in two sentences, but I didn't wanna spend a lot of time here other people have done much better work than I will ever do on these theories and capturing all the nuances of them, but this is kind of the basics. Ransom theory is this idea, this theory that we are held captive by Satan and God is the one who pays the price. This leads us to question if God is really the one in charge. So if Satan or the enemy of the world has held all of humanity captive, and God has to pay a price to get us released, to give us our freedom, then we begin to wonder who's, who's really in charge here. Then we have penal substitution. And this is an idea or a theory that punishment was necessary to set us right with God and to give justice for all the messes that we have all made. Now this one leads us to question whether this fits with the picture of God that Jesus gives to us in the gospels. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the clearest picture to us of what God the Father is like and the way that God the Father desires to be in relationship with us. The same Jesus who taught us to love our enemies the same Jesus who taught us to forgive 70 times seven, the same Jesus who in helping the Pharisees and the Sadducees to understand who God actually is, shares with them the story of the prodigal son. And we're gonna wrap our time up together with that story. Those are just a few things and they don't line up fully with these theories. And so we wanna use our minds to the best of our ability to begin to think about God. And so what are some other options? Now, what I'm gonna be sharing with you today, they're not my original ideas, 
but they are pulled from some of the people of God that I learn from and I study from who the fruit in their life has been good fruit. And when I think about it, it aligns with my experience of God, with my relationship with God, of what I see in the world and what I have seen and known of others experience with God. There's no way we will fully capture it all today. It will absolutely fall short. There are things that I still get wrong now in my theology with God that I know I will think differently about in five years. I just can't tell you what those things are yet, but I know they exist. This is where the grace of God comes in. So we're gonna start with the first word, and that one is justification. Another word you don't want me to put you on the spot and ask you what it means. But a really important word that Paul is trying to help us use in order to understand this good news. So think of justification as God's act of entering our life. The restoration of a relationship that includes forgiveness and peace with God. Now some of us grew up thinking somehow, whether we were taught it directly or indirectly, that God has to separate himself from humanity because of all the messes and gaps and stuff that we have created. And that justification is restoring us to God. One of the authors that I learned from wrote recently in a book that I read, they didn't write it recently, but I read it again recently, that Jesus did not come to change God's mind about us, which is often what we grow up learning. Jesus came, my friends, to change our mind about God. He entered into a time and into a place and into a culture where when they considered what deity or what God might look like, they were angry and they were finicky and they were hard to please and they would totally annihilate and ruin your life if you didn't check all the boxes and do all the things and jump through all of the hoops. Justification is this idea that God entered our world, humbled himself and became like us so that he could be near us and be in relationship with us. We're gonna read the story of the prodigal son later today and I want you to notice that the prodigal son did not start out in the other city or in the other town. He did not begin with distance, with broken relationship from the father. He started at home, safe and loved and cared for by the father. And then out of his own hurt and brokenness and confusion and woundedness and whatever was motivating it, chose to create some distance. That's what I see in myself. Moments when I am afraid to let God in, to let God near because I am terrified that there will be rejection. You know, when Jesus writes to us about the intimacy that is available in the relationship with God, when he says, you know, in John, that you are in me and I am in you and we are one in this idea of this closeness with God. Friends, I think a lot of us, we avoid that either unconsciously or consciously because we are afraid. And in some ways, I think we feel some shame. And so we resist that and we avoid it. And the invitation is to allow the love of God that will never force itself upon us, that will never control us into it, but that is always there and always waiting and always available. And then we have atonement. This is another one. Okay, so 
If justification is the doorway to the relationship, think of atonement as the relationship. It's the full incarnation of God that leads us to life. Not just the death and the resurrection of Christ, but the life and the ministry of the historical Jesus, the death and the resurrection, and then the spirit of Christ that is alive and active in us today. When Paul writes, it is in Christ that you live and move and have your being, this is part of atonement. It is the relationship with God that is available to us today in Christ. And then we see the word grace. Oh, excuse me, redemption, I skipped one. Redemption is one of my favorites because we all need redemption. The gaps in our life create space and lack and we need redemption. And redemption, think about this as the ongoing availability of life in the kingdom of God. This was the message that Jesus came proclaiming over and over and over again. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's not just eternity, but it's life now with God in Christ, where what God wants done is done, where the spirit of Christ is bringing about life and newness and love and joy and peace and all of the goodness that's available to us in the kingdom. And then we have grace. And there are a lot of amazing definitions of grace. Again, it's kind of like looking at a diamond. There are facets to many of these things. And if you look at one side, you miss the other sides of it. And I don't have time to give you all of the facets of grace today, but I read a definition a few weeks ago that has captured my heart and my mind since then. And it is grace, think of this as the goodness glue that fills in all the gaps. The goodness glue that fills in all the gaps. That's part of what the grace of God looks like in our world and in our lives and in our communities. And so today, friends, we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Paul has made that so clear to us in the first two and a half chapters of Romans. And we all get in on the goodness of grace of God that makes new life available to us in Christ. If we are together in the mess, the good news is we are together in the grace and in the goodness of God that gives us access to this new life that we have in Christ. So how do we move this from our head to our heart? And I know some of you are thinking, Carissa, I don't need to move this from my head to my heart. I wanna encourage you today to consider that maybe you do. We want to take this left brain idea that Paul is working so hard to communicate clearly to us and we want to integrate it in with the other side of our brain. We wanna move it from our head and into our heart because it's when we are integrated people of God that I begin to believe that we can access more of the fullness of life that is available to us in the kingdom. And this is not my idea. This is not something that I came up with and it's not even a new idea. Although neuroscience is helping us understand it like never before and I geek out on neuroscience like you wouldn't believe. My husband Ryan, he laughs every time Amazon shows up at our house, which is quite frequently he knows it's a book and right now it's about 50-50 chance it's gonna be a book that helps us understand the brain because it's helping us understand so much about the truth of God in the world as well. Okay, but that was a rabbit trail. This integration is not new 
In Romans chapter five, what Paul writes about is that the love of God is poured into our hearts through the spirit of Christ. How do we move this idea, this thought of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the good news of God from our head into our heart? What would it look like for us to not only think about the love of God, but to begin to allow the love of God to fill our hearts and to fill our lives and to fill our relationships. Some of that we experience in really healthy relationships with people that we're close to. Some of us have not known what that looks like. That's only one of the ways I think that we encounter this love of God. I also know and trust and choose to believe that we can encounter it through the spirit of Christ that Paul tells us has been poured into our hearts. And so today we're gonna close as we learn together maybe one way that we can move this idea of the love and the goodness of God from our head and into our heart. And so what I wanna do is I want to highlight a story that Jesus told. You see, Jesus was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And he knew that it's not only words and descriptions of things that we need to help us understand and to see God and to encounter God, but he also knew that we need to integrate the other side of our brain, which is where pictures and metaphors and images help us to integrate understanding and knowing. And so Jesus, in his brilliance, did most of his teaching through story and through metaphor because it helps us access a different way of knowing, a different way of encountering. And so he shares with us the story of the prodigal son. And in the moment, what's happening is he's sharing the story with the religious leaders who are asking him why he would spend so much time with the sinners. Now, as we've been in Romans and I've come back to the story, I don't know what you'll see today, but what I see is the Jewish people and the Gentiles. I see the Jewish people as the elder son in the story and the Gentiles as the younger son in the story. And as I've read this story several times over the last few years, I have seen myself in both, both of them in the story. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to practice something together here in person. And if you're online, you get to do this with us as well. It's called Lectio Divina, which is a fancy word for sacred reading or sacred listening. And it's a little bit of a different way of reading the scripture. Usually when we're reading the scripture or the word of God, we're reading to understand with our thinking. In this way of reading, we're reading for revelation, for God to reveal God's self to us. Now, before you think that this is new, it's not. This is how the people of God have been reading the scripture since they had scripture. Especially think of the first 1500 years of the church. We had mostly people who were illiterate and could not read. And until 1500 years into the life of the church, we didn't have printed scripture. And so they would listen to the word of God being read. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to read through the story together. And as we do, I want to invite you to practice listening 
with your heart instead of with your mind. That means paying attention to what you're sensing, what you're feeling, picturing if you're willing to close your eyes the story as you hear it read. Some of you may even find yourselves imagining the story. Our imagination is a gift of God that God uses. If that is too outside of your comfort zone, I want you to know that's okay. There will be a picture on the screen of a painting of the story of the prodigal son. And so you can focus your attention in on the picture if that would be meaningful for you. And so I wanna pray over us and then I'm gonna take us right into the story that Jesus tells and he's telling the story to help us understand more of God, who God is and the way that God desires to interact with you and with me. And so God, today, help us to allow your love to be poured into our hearts by the Spirit of Christ. Give us courage, God, where we feel afraid, where this feels vulnerable, God, would you give us peace and reassurance? Help us to trust. Where we want black and white answers and certainty, God, help us to lean a little bit into mystery. And more than anything, God, would you help us to grasp in deeper ways your goodness and your love and your good news. In Jesus' name we pray. And so Jesus continues and says, there was a man who had two young sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so friends, if the reality is that we have all made a mess of things, then the good news is that we all get in on the grace and the goodness of God that makes new life available to us in Christ. Would you stand with me? And so this week, as we go out into our lives and into our families and into our relationships, and we have moments where we begin to notice our own gaps, my prayer for you is that the Spirit of Christ would bring to mind this story, this picture of a heavenly Father who loves and welcomes us home, who sees us from afar and picks up his robe and runs out to meet us, interrupts our apology, and celebrates who we are in Christ. May that be what comes to mind this week in our moments. 